Welcome to this episode of Litigation Briefs, Media Shorts on Law and Courts. I'm Scott Dodson, a distinguished professor of law at UC Hastings College of the Law and the director of the Center for Litigation Courts, which produces this series. Absent court order, information in your possession is generally yours to share or not as you please. If something embarrassing happened to me, I can choose not to tell anyone about it. If I'm involved in civil litigation though, and that embarrassing thing is relevant to the lawsuit, then I can be forced to reveal it to my opponent. Further, my opponent can then share that information outside the lawsuit. I might even have to testify about the embarrassing thing in court, which generally is open to the public and news media. What if that embarrassing thing is extremely private or could damage my personal or business reputation? Or maybe it is a trade secret how does the civil justice system balance the need for information disclosure to allow the parties a fair opportunity to litigate a case and the public's right to have access to court proceedings with the legitimate privacy interests of individuals and organizations who participate? Here to help me with these questions of confidentiality and litigation is my guest, Dustin Benham, professor of law at Texas Tech Law School. Dustin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Let's start with some background. What are the defaults on information control in litigation? You know, that's a great question. The default is um, public access, meaning that secrecy is not the default in litigation. And you really have two phases of litigation. You have the discovery phase. You also have the trial phase and there's pre-trial litigation uh, that leads up to the trial. And both at trial and pre-trial, trial, uh, the default is open access. Part of that's rooted in the First Amendment. The First Amendment free speech clause um, really limits government actors and how much information dissemination they can control, meaning we have a tradition under the First Amendment of open courts and people with information have First Amendment rights to share that information with others. So any court limitation on how people are using information, including information exchanged and discovery, is subject to the First Amendment. Um, So basically all that means is that the the litigation default is that disclosure is favored and secrecy is limited. Starting with discovery then, how can parties override that default if they have particularly private or sensitive information that is nevertheless relevant to the case? Well, you know, saying that Um, confidentiality is is the default is misleading uh, in one way for precisely the reason that you raised. In the American litigation system, we have easy access to a tool called a protective order. And a protective order could also be called a confidentiality or a secrecy order, but courts term them protective orders. And the rules of civil procedure provide protective orders so that uh, among other uses, a protective order can limit the way someone uses or discloses discovery in a particular case, meaning we've gotten evidence, we've gotten information that may be private or sensitive, and now the court orders us to use it only for purposes of developing the litigation and issues in the case, and we'll be prohibited, for instance, from sharing that information with the media uh, or even other litigants in some circumstances. Um, Some of these protective orders can be quite severe there are attorneys eyes only protective orders, meaning not the parties in the case, uh, or in some instances, other people affiliated with the case are able to review the information, 
only the attorneys and potentially the court are going to have access to this information because it's so sensitive. What happens if that information has to be filed with the court in, in a motion or maybe used at trial and isn't just between the parties? That's a great question. Um, trial, right, implicates different First Amendment interests than pretrial litigation. So let's start with trial. If you're using information at trial and introducing, as an, introducing it as an exhibit, which the fact finder will rely upon to render its decision, typically a jury, but it could be a judge-based decision. So you have a piece of discovery, now you've introduced it as an exhibit. Special First Amendment consideration attaches to that information and the public has a broad right to access the information. So the original protective order that was signed may have satisfied the First Amendment pretrial, but an order of similar character at trial is not gonna satisfy the First Amendment and courts, um, both for First Amendment reasons and common law reasons, are much more open in the trial phase. In between the discovery and the trial phase is the motion phase. And courts across the country are, are split on how to treat confidentiality of uh, discovery and other evidence that's attached to motions. Generally, uh, courts are open with public access to things residing in court files as attached to motions. That's another thing to remember. Discovery occurs between the parties and information is solely exchanged in discovery may have never entered a court file. But once we attach it to a motion, it's sitting in a public courthouse funded by the public and both common law and First Amendment interests attached, which could give the public more access or give the litigants more rights to, to disseminate or give out that information. Um, part of determining whether something attached to a motion has a strong public right of access associated with it depends on whether the court relies upon it to make a dispositive or a decisive decision in the case. So if the court decides the entire case in a summary judgment, meaning we're not going to have a trial, we're just going to have a summary judgment, and the court's going to say this case in court, evidence in support of that summary judgment would have a strong uh, right of access attached to it so that we can evaluate the quality of judicial decision making in rendering that summary judgment. So on the one end, we have discovery where we have limited First Amendment and other rights to access in the face of that protective order. On the other end, we have trial where the public has a right to go and sit in the courthouse and watch the proof as it comes in. And in the middle, um, courts are pretty muddled on rights to access when it comes to information attached to those motions. And what kind of controls can courts offer on open access, even in court, in trial, or with uh, filed motions? So we have what are called sealing orders, right, which are different than protective orders, but they effectively do the same thing. Uh, but there are different standards that apply to sealing orders because th the information, there's more of an open courts public access right to the information. Um, so the sealing orders basically command the clerk to prevent public access to information sitting in the court file. You could even, in some cases, close courtrooms, and this has happened across the country. So you close a courtroom for the presentation of certain and you would exclude the public and seal the transcript of that proceeding. This can happen in particular in certain IP litigation where a lot of intellectual property, high dollar intellectual properties on the line, or even products litigation where we have very sensitive trade secrets. Courts have even closed courtrooms and sealed that information. Now, someone can always breach that order and give out the information, an attorney with access, a clerk with access, um, someone who 
steals access to the information somehow, but they would be subject potentially to sanctions if they're subject to the sanctions jurisdiction of the court. They could also be found in contempt uh, of a sealing order, and then the court could impose punishments, either monetary uh, or other punishments, uh, on the person who was found to have breached the order. So say I have something that is super confidential, and I do not think that the available controls, even contempt of court sanctions, are going to be sufficient to protect the information that I think is super confidential. What other options might I have to control information disclosure? You know, I, I think the, the, and this is a complaint of people who are seeking to protect information in the litigation system. Um, one option you would have is to settle the case before you produce the information, right? And when I mean produce the information, the information is subject to discovery, meaning the other side is entitled to it in the litigation. So the information, you have a decision. Do I give the other side the information because they're entitled to it under the law? Or do I cut the entire case off by settling? Now, the problem is, is that that creates an incentive to settle litigation for a reason that's disconnected from the merits of the litigation. Okay. So essentially, the risk of that information getting out to the public, getting leaked by the other side or somebody involved in litigation is high enough that I'm willing to pay a settlement, even if the settlement doesn't reflect a meritorious claim, to avoid people getting access to that information. That's one method I could use. And I'm sure that there are litigants and companies who have done that uh, through time. Um, another thing you could do is enter into a post-incident arbitration agreement and you can conduct the entire thing in an arbitration. Arbitration is not subject to the open courts provisions, uh, either the common law or the constitution. And so you could have a completely private arbitration with perhaps heightened controls. Um, and it, it, though you could agree that that's totally confidential. Again, though, if someone breaches confidentiality, now you may have a claim against them for that breach, but they had access to the information, the potential of leaking it. So that's not a perfect solution uh, either. So I know you've researched some of these issues. What are the major problems with litigation confidentiality? You know, I think there are a few problems. Um, one of the biggest problems in, with litigation confidentiality uh, I think goes to uh, public health and safety, okay? And, you know, many of claims that are in federal court right now or in state courts involve widespread products or hazards that have impacted or hurt many people. And so, uh, for instance, you have a particular vehicle or a particular chemical that in the same way has injured hundreds or thousands of people. Well, if the litigation that results from that particular harm or defect is conducted in secret, okay? Other people are out there driving that particular car or being exposed to that particular chemical. And maybe the media doesn't have access um, to the information. And so it's not being reported. Maybe even the regulatory agencies in charge of the product haven't been given full access to the information that's circulating in the American court system. So you have a public that's paying for the court system. They're paying for this litigation. Um, we have a tradition of open courts and transparency. And yet the very products that are harming and making people are kept secret within publicly funded courts. That, that's one problem. Another problem is you have litigation costs that are imposed by secrecy orders. And what I mean by that is 
if you have repeating cases, like we were talking about, you know, the same product hurts 100 people. If there's a secrecy order in each case, and essentially you're making the attorneys in each case play hide and seek or, or find the information, right? And we're relitigating the same discovery issues about whether people are entitled to that information over and over and over again. It's imposing costs on individuals, individuals bringing those claims. It's imposing costs on the court system from having to relitigate this. And you might ask yourself, well, why on earth would a common defendant um, seek secrecy when it's costing them litigation expenses to relitigate? Well, part of that's about the claim suppression we just talked about, right? Once this information becomes publicly known, perhaps there are many, many more claims that are filed. And so the increased litigation expenses and the cost imposed on the system from relitigating the same case are smaller or disconnected from that defendant. And now the defendant really is engaged in a game of claim suppression at the expense of other players in the system. Um, so those are a couple of problems. Another problem is what, what's the rationale for the open courts uh, tradition in this country? It's that we should, be we should be able to evaluate the quality of the judges uh, and, and the other processes in our court systems and be able to evaluate the way they're making decisions, the, the decisions they're making, whether corruption or undue influence have entered that decision-making, um, whether the decision-making is well-founded and based on evidence and good reason. And when decisions are kept secret and the evidence upon which they are based, you know, even if the decision is public, if the evidence upon which it's based is kept secret, it really makes it difficult to understand uh, the way the courts are reaching their decisions and whether those decisions are quality. How then might you propose the system adapt to correct some of those problems? You know, I think there's a few things we can do. Um, for one thing, there are two really two distinct problems. One is secrecy pretrial with discovery information, and the other is secrecy in in trial exhibits, sealed motions, and things that are sitting in court files. And I think those are two separate problems, but the one issue that I see is that they feed each other. Secrecy is not the default. It is practically the default in much litigation because courts will sign off on uncontested protective orders. The parties decide, hey, let's do this in secret. A lot of reasons that they might decide that. Uh, it might suit their individual client's needs. Let's sign this protective order, this agreed protective order. The judge ratifies it. Um, and then off we go. We're doing the discovery portion and the pretrial portion of this case in secret. Well, by the time we start filing motions, if we've already kept everything secret for six months or a year in pretrial litigation, it creates a lot of inertia and momentum at the sealing stage for the judge to continue to sign secrecy orders in the form of sealing orders. Because we've already done it in secret. You all agreed this stuff is sensitive and private. Let's just go on and seal it now, even if people are opposing the secrecy, even if the media is intervening and trying to get access to information. It just creates inertia towards secrecy. So one thing I would propose is that we don't need to have a party agreed secrecy in this country without courts making a legitimate inquiry into whether that secrecy is well-founded. So the law is not self-executing, meaning if everybody agrees and there's no one to complain about the initial secrecy order, we're in a tight spot. But one thing I would suggest is let's have judges, right, have to independently the reasons, basis, rationale for entering a secrecy order, even if it's uncontested upon a finding of good cause as the rule requires. 
So the parties may have a lot of incentives to keep things secret. I'd like to change the incentive for the judge so the judge is a more uh, effective gatekeeper early. I think that will help eliminate some of the momentum towards secrecy in the later, even more damaging phases of secret litigation, motion practice, trial practice. Well, Dustin, thanks so much for being on the show and for explaining the confidentiality of civil litigation. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate you having me. This episode was produced by the Center for Litigation and Courts at UC Hastings College of the Law. If you enjoyed this episode of Litigation Briefs, I hope you'll tune in to future episodes. In fact, I hope you'll consider subscribing to our YouTube channel and audio podcast, which can be accessed through the Center for Litigation and Courts website at sites.ucastings.edu slash CLC. While you're at it, encourage a friend to do the same. This is Litigation Briefs, respectfully submitted, Scott Dodson.